Welcome to the One Life Maps podcast. Here's your host and co-author of Listen to My Life, maps for recognizing and responding to God in my story, Sharon Swing. Greetings, everyone. We're so glad you joined us today. This is Sharon Swing along with Joan Kelly and and Sybil Towner. We are so grateful to be together and also to invite you into the conversation. We'd love to hear um, from you your questions and your comments about these episodes as well. We'd love to enter into a conversation with you, even do future episodes based on your questions would be wonderful. Joan Kelly is our Director of Facilitator Development for One Life Maps, Maps for Recognizing and Responding to God in Your Story. We help facilitators use these materials with others. And Sybil Towner is um, is co-author along with me of those materials. And today we're going to be talking straight out of one of the maps in in this series, map number four, um, called the Valley Experiences Map. Not everybody's favorite map on the upfront, right? <laughs> but this particular piece of work it ends up being rather pivotal because many people don't know how to move or what to do with their valley experiences. We've never been taught processes of how to do this. And not that there's a neat, easy way to navigate valley experiences, but at least this gives us some traction and a roadmap of sorts to be able to get started with. So Joan, I why don't you go ahead and read the 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 scripture mm-hmm. that's right up front in this one and let's talk about that for a little bit first. Great. So it's from Psalm 84, uh, 6 and 7 from the NLT version. Actually this whole uh, psalm it's just it, it's a beautiful psalm that I think sometimes we we skip past. It says when you walk through the valley of weeping it will become a place of refining springs where pools of blessing collect after the rains. They will continue to grow stronger and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? It is a beautiful image. What stands out to you about that, Sybil? Well, the first word is walk. This is not a fast journey. Mm-hmm. And if you're walking, it's possible that you will not miss what you need to see and feel and hear and touch. Mm. For me, it's the next word, when they walk through. That word through, that this isn't, the valleys aren't a place where we're supposed to camp out. But maybe it it is a journey but to be able to keep moving forward because I think a lot of people that I listen to and my own propensity is to get stuck in valleys mm-hmm. um, we feel resourceless and alone and abandoned and misunderstood many times or the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves can be so damaging that we we forget that we're walking through it, or we don't even know that there's a path through the valley that we can take. Joan, what about you? I mean, even even just the when part at the very beginning, when they walk through, it's a choice. And um, it's a choice we, we get to make in the midst of hard places because they're going to happen. You know, they, scripture makes it clear that, you know, valleys are going to come. But when they do, I can walk through. 
and I, I get to choose and, and choose to walk together with God in them. And the first phrase is, when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs where pools of blessing collect after the rains. <laughs> there's something about, there's a promise in the midst of that that I find really intriguing that there's a, um, yeah, it acknowledges the rain. They, the rains turn into refreshing pools. Hmm. There's a curious question, like, how does that happen mm-hmm. in the midst of that? Mm-hmm. So it's somebody's work other than our own. Because uh, rains do not come from us. So that metaphor, um, and... Um, and also it it relates to tears mm-hmm. that um, sometimes we try to hold back, but when we let them come, sometimes at the end, we're still wet but but there has been a blessing in being able to weep. And I, I know that many times when I've listened to people, they'll, they'll say something to the effect of, I, I felt like if I cry the first tear, I'll never stop. And I, sometimes I've said, I've never known anybody that hasn't stopped. If you remember the story of the Christmas miracle of Jonathan Toomey, well, a lot of people probably haven't read that yes, one, but I remember But that's the well. name of a book and of a man who lost his wife and his child very close to one another in childbirth. And, um, and the line is, um, he pulled his belongings together, and then he settled at the edge of the town when his tears had stopped. Yeah, and in that story, his tears had run dry, but his soul was still dead, and he didn't know what he was doing next, except the fact that he was getting back to carving. Yes, what he the thing he knew. Yes, mm-hmm. he could get back to something that he knew. But even in the midst of that, he had made a choice. Mm-hmm. He had made a choice to stop those tears and put them, you know, essentially put them away on the shelf. Even though inside, as you said, there's ache and pain that was still there. Yeah, like a daily dose. And I also notice here in the scripture, the second sentence starts with, with, they will continue to grow stronger. And I find that people who have grieved well are also strong people. Um, tender people, but strong people, you know, like, uh-huh. a, um, you know, they say there are some trees that, that are very, very flexible, but that's part of their strength. They don't stand, they don't stand immovable. They actually bend with the wind mm-hmm. and are able to flex in that kind of way. And I find that many people who have grieved deeply are kind of like that. Um, they stay firmly rooted, but 
are able to absorb pieces of the wind and in the and all when it comes when that when that when the storms come that they grow stronger in the midst of it and also can then become strength for other people mm-hmm. right and that is the that is what Paul speaks to the church at Corinth you are able to comfort mm-hmm. others yeah, because you have been comforted in your afflictions and, and i th- i think people who have lived without pain many times stumble around trying to figure out how to be with people who are experiencing pain. And I know that's been true of me. Um, before I let myself grieve, I, I, I just was a bull in a china shop. You know, you want, you want, to, you want other people to, to stop crying because it makes you feel uncomfortable <laughs> mm-hmm. as opposed to being able to enter into the tears of others mm-hmm. um, and be with them in it in a way that, is also holding hope for them. Yes. It, you're not giving into the despair of their tears, but you're entering in with compassion in a different kind of transaction. And you're actually entering what, um, uh, what we could call an unfixable. And we love to fix things. Mm-hmm. We like to fix people. We like to fix projects. We like to fix things. And so when we enter that space, and you sort of describe it as a bowl in a, uh, a, bowl in a china, china shop, shop that, um, uh, that we have a knowing that this is not something that we can fix. So we want to get as far away from it as possible. Yeah. And I think that so many times... I mean, I just heard this this past week in a class I'm I'm uh, I'm participating in at church, where somebody avoiding conversations of consequence of of faith and of entering into someone's pain. They were describing someone who they knew who was going through a really rough patch, but they they were afraid to to open up the conversation because they couldn't fix it, and to think that we can relieve ourselves of the responsibility of needing to fix their pain, but just be with them in it, which is courageous enough. But to feel unworthy to fix it is not a reason to not enter into it just to be with someone. But a lot of times we haven't let ourselves feel those emotions so that it, if we haven't let ourselves feel those emotions, then basically when we enter into someone else's pain, what we're really afraid of is the fact that the avalanche that we've, that, that, mm-hmm. that's just behind us is going to overtake us. Right. And, and that's actually one of the ways in an unconscious way that your body and mind and heart takes care of itself. I mean, we, we live uh, more defended and protected than we think. And so when we meet those places and people who are in those valleys, um, that alert sign goes up and we get out of there um, mm-hmm. as quickly as possible. But when that has gone down and we have been willing to face that in our own lives, whether it's something small or something large, it doesn't matter. There's no person that has not encountered grief and loss and sadness in some way. And so um, I, I think God in His kindness 
doesn't put you in places where your grief and sadness cannot be utilized if you faced it yourself. Mm. And I mean, it's so. just like with story work, we talk about, um, you know, we want to um, be able to be with people in a way that we are truly listening, but we can only listen as much as we have processed our own story. And the same is true here of our grief. If we have not sat with our own grief, it's going to be very hard to sit across the table um, without this mentality of fixing. Yeah. yeah. And, and Joan, I know that, that you welcome people into a club that nobody wants to be in a lot of times. Um, people who have lost children mm-hmm. and that you're willing to sit with other people who are still on the front end of that kind of grief. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I just admire your courage mm-hmm. in that so much. Thanks. And what do you think it is about your journey that makes you available? Hmm. Well, I think there's several things. I think um, because I have journeyed, in this case, the that path of, in this, we're talking about losing a child. We lost our oldest son to leukemia. We didn't lose him, but <laughs> he he died from leukemia, and he. Um, so I am able to sit with other people in their pain because it's very familiar, and I know the power of how other people sat with me and how God sat with me in that. And so, I, you know, part of it too is for my selfishly for my own healing. There's something healing about sitting with and redeeming about sitting with somebody else. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think one of the observations, uh, having just been a part of that um, journey with you, Joan, is uh, a part of the way God has gifted you is with words. Mm-hmm. Now, He gifts some with drawing right. and others with uh, all sorts of other gifts, but yours is with words. And so... Um, one of the things that you began to do was you just began at the end of a day or uh, mostly mm-hmm. that that's when it sort of came to you. You just wrote mm-hmm. what you were thinking and mm-hmm. what you were feeling and what you were wondering. And, uh, and you were also pragmatic in the sense, um, I can't call all of my friends who are <laughs> asking me and family mm-hmm. who want to be mm-hmm. a part of this. And so you, you, created uh, a way of being able to post it on Caring Bridge. And so a journey began that you didn't even know how it was going to unfold. No, I didn't. I didn't know what the journey would be. But yes, so I do encourage people to find, for me, it was words, an expression of what is going on with Within, so whether it's art or it's a physical expression of running or walking or <clears throat> you know using your body to because our you know so well you say this all the time our bodies hold right um, what is going on within our souls and so finding an expression in our grief and even even doing this map is an expression of our grief it's a it's an outlet. Yeah. <laughs> For what is going on within us. Actually, sometimes it's something that brings laughter. I mean, I mm-hmm. think of your um, balloon fight. Yeah. 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 I mean, where where you just sort of looked this 
loss into the face. <laughs> and it was something that had been done, but it now was catalyzed into a whole new mm-hmm. experience where we were able to, in some way, vent some emotions mm-hmm. that... um that just said, this. there's something in this that's not right. And yet, there's a God who is here in mm-hmm. the same time, and it was done in community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there was a release that was actually brought, I think, did bring water, it refreshing did. We pools. got wet. It was different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm just saying, the creativity of the way God will guide us yeah. in using your word, giving expression to. And uh, one of the uh, authors that uh, we've all read wrote the book called Tear Soup. Oh, right. You you know, it takes a lot of ingredients and being present to to allow this grief to become what is in that Psalm 84, a pool of blessing. Mm -hmm. And it takes time and people. It takes laughter and tears. It takes remembering. Mm-hmm. It, it takes marking, marking a moment, mm-hmm. uh, making a phone call on a particular day or time that you wonder, how how could this be remembered? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so, I just think that um, uh, that it's it's far more broad than we sometimes think of it mm-hmm. uh, in the in the walking through mm-hmm. um, the space. You want to give a little backstory to the balloon fight? Yeah, so there's people out here that are wondering, like, <laughs> yeah. what is she talking about? That sounds really odd, <laughs> and it is. <laughs> um, so backstory, I'll try to go as short as I can here, but um, so my son had leukemia for about a year, and partway through actually his treatment, we were trying to think of ways to encourage him and just add a little laughter to what isn't so fun when you're 16 years old. And so a friend of ours came up with this idea, let's have a balloon fight, like get as many people as we can and come to your house and just like attack each other. And and the next year, Will had then passed away and this same friend came back to me and said, what if we did that again? Because it was so much fun. We had like, you know, 30 people the first year. And so it became this annual tradition of celebrating our son with a water balloon fight of all things. So we called it, you know, the world's largest water balloon memorial <laughs> and water war. And um, so every year for for really a decade, we we celebrated Will with the things that I mean, he loved to laugh. He loved community. And it's a way of us just celebrating not only him, but celebrating this God's wonderful idea of of community. And so over time, it, you know, there was over well over a hundred some people that would show up, and we had teams, and you know. we had to move it out of Joan's neighborhood. Oh yeah, <laughs> liability wise, we moved it to yeah. the backyard of a school. So <laughs> I think there was only one like broken arm in ten years. So that was pretty good. <laughs> okay then. So so anyway, back to the valley experiences. Yes. Matt, but we had to give context to those particular we did, comments. But, we did. Yeah, there are all different ways to grieve, and there are all different ways to also think about celebrating um, what's been lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the good of what's been lost right. in the midst of it. And so there are some amazing 
quotes in here, but I actually want to start with the Frederick Beekner quote that's on the bottom of page two. Joan, would you read that I would for love us to. before we launch into the process? He says, in one sense, the past is dead and gone, never to be repeated, over and done with. But in another sense, of course, it is not done with at all, or at least not done with us. Every person we have ever known, every place we have ever seen, everything that has ever happened to us, it all lives deep within us, somewhere, whether we like it or not, and sometimes it doesn't take much to bring it back to the surface in bits and pieces. And when Frederick writes that, he writes it out of examining his own story, Mm -hmm. and uh, he has a hard story. And those bits and pieces came back in his own life. So Mm -hmm. those are words that have been formed by listening to his life. I mean, that line there, it all lives deep within us. That's a little bit haunting if you think about Mm -hmm. all that has happened in our lives. Mm -hmm. It's in there. And if we don't find expressions for it, whatever that might be, it it starts to leak out and it's not so pretty. Well, I I think that... You know, I, I think I said in an earlier podcast that unshed tears can turn to bitterness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty fast. And there's also a sense that even this past week, I was listening um, to some other uh, some other podcast, I and something was said, and I actually don't even remember what was said, but this collection of memories came forward that were held together by a story I have told myself about myself. And a lot of times in our valleys, that's what happens is we start to form a story about some things. And I remember the cruelty of um, some, we had a crowd of mean girls in high school. There was no doubt about that. And the cruelty and the story I told myself about their cruelty was not about them. It was about me, that there was something flawed in me mm. that was um, then pulled forward. So when I would face rejection at various different points, I would pull back that same story. And um, and I had known that, but I hadn't strung together some of the other times I have told myself that story. And so those were those were fresh ones. Those and, and it's it's almost like there's a those things are lingering in the background that I feel like God is pulling them back up and going, you know, you can let go of that one. <laughs> you know, there's 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 more loss there are more losses to be processed in the midst of that. Um more more things to be released inside of me so I don't keep playing out a story that says something about there's something flawed in me that somehow brings out this kind of rejection from other people, not necessarily adding into the picture that this particular, in in that particular story anyway, there were a lot of stuff going on with those particular girls and I wasn't their only target. (laughs) And they needed, you know, that somehow or another they were playing out some stories that they needed to feel superior to a lot of other mm-hmm. people. And um, and if you weren't in their in crowd, everybody else was a target. And 
um, which that, actually, which is the uh, which is human nature. Um, it is somebody has to be put down so I can be put up. It is the it is the work of comparison, and um, and another word uh, that gets used with it is uh, is envy, but. Uh, what I want, that story lodged in you, mm-hmm. and um, and there are stories of probably something that happened to you that really didn't lodge in you. You were able to let it go, mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, but this one didn't. And one of the wonderings I would have is when you're in high school, that is a time where the question that you're asking inside, you may not even know you're asking it, but some really do ask it out loud, is who am I? Mm -hmm. And it's a time when you're sort of pulling away from your parents a bit, and to belong to a group or a uh, some kind of group in your high school setting, they take on a greater um, influence or impact than maybe at any other time. Yeah, and and it was actually I became their target after I had I had some um, some accolades come my way, and uh, that was not okay with them. <laughs> And um, I remember going to the editor of the school newspaper and they were going to do a story about me. And I'm like, please do not do that. Please do not write a story about me. I don't need to become a bigger target than I already am. Thank you very much. Mm. And, uh, you know, so so there is a piece of it that just kind of tamped those things down. Mm. Um, you know, don't, you know, don't, don't put yourself out there that much. Um, don't be, you know, because your successes actually make you vulnerable was part of the story. Yes. And so in any case, those particular things lurk in the background. And I think that um, that part of the process of, uh, I've mentioned before, is even just the, the thought of doing this podcast, although it excited me, there was a piece of it that it just feel, felt really vulnerable to say, we're let's do a podcast. And let's put it out there for the world to see if anybody listens, you know. <laughs> and um, and so here are things from th- my my high school years that were that were coming up. And it's like, well, isn't that interesting? But I understand this stuff well enough to know that okay, now what's the connection? What's what am I feeling? A little angst about, and how are these pieces connected? And what is God? In, bringing to to light because he wants to have a conversation with me about that. Yes. And I've, I've sensed my word for this year is fearless. And it's like, well, that should be an interesting word to work with. <laughs> it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> you know, Actually, I would, have, I would have a different word. Um, <laughs> Sharon, I would say it must be that the Spirit of God has just invaded you in a deeper way that you would say fearless because mm-hmm. he's with you and you are moving in the accolade section that really will not write about you in a way that is one 
that is too much or too little, but in the absolute truest way of who you are. Mm-hmm. So I just say, go for it. Well, and, and, it's, <laughs> and it's kind of funny because of the fact that the, the reason I said fearless and it was like, oh, no, it was the reaction was like, okay, what am I going to have to face in order? Because clearly I'm going to face fear if I'm being invited to be fearless. Amen. Like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's also right. a piece of me that's like, okay, let's bring it on. <laughs> but, but I have to get over the, oh, no, <laughs> part of it first, right? So anyway, let's go through the Valley Experiences map. Um, we just want to highlight some the process mm-hmm. um, very briefly um, because... Well, what can I say? We want you to do the Valley Experiences map. We want you to get online and actually order the Listen to My Life materials and do this stuff because of the fact, not because we make a ton of money on it, because we don't. We want you to be able to do this because there's blessing in it for you. Yes. And there's something about doing this Valley Experiences map that is about freedom. It's not about going back and remembering, just drudging up the past. This is... This is these things are have freedom at the other end of it. And we'll do a podcast with, with another friend of ours who, who resisted doing the first one and then went on to do 14 more of them, I think, um, because she found freedom at the end of the first one and was like, whoa, this is pretty good stuff. <laughs> yes, and so what, what this is showing is what was in that uh, text. There is a hidden treasure in every valley that we just keep capped and miss those pools, pools of water. Mm-hmm. Pools of blessing. Yes, right? pools of blessings, which blessing means God's presence. And so the gift of doing the valleys is discovering that he was there, discovering his work in that particular place, even those places that are really horrific Mm -hmm. and that you would never choose under any circumstances. Right. Now, there's a story I'm going to want you to tell at the end of this. So let's talk through the process. Okay. Let's just start with the purpose. I'm just actually going to read it off the map. And it says, the work of receiving and giving forgiveness is seldom done thoroughly. We often give and receive forgiveness too quickly, resulting in buried and unnamed hurts and losses, shallow grieving, and unhealthy compensating behaviors. The work of forgiveness has more to do with changing us than it does with those who have hurt us or those we have hurt. In order to live purposeful and grace-filled lives, past hurts must be healed so we can grow and mature in Christ. The Valley Experience Map provides a way of learning the process of naming, grieving, healing, forgiving, using one Valley Experience at a time. So that's the purpose. And so I think, yeah, we should just kind of walk around the different sections of the map. And so the first one really is what happened. So taking some space, and now you might seem, oh, well, that's really obvious what happened. But there's something really important about naming and putting to paper and then eventually sharing the details of what happened. I mean, Sharon, earlier when you asked me about sitting with other people and why that has been an important part for me, there's something really beautiful about telling parts of the story again. Different parts of it fall off. I get a new perspective because I'm in a new place. So this first part of the map, I think, is is super important Mm -hmm. of what happened. Mm -hmm. 
So, <clears throat> so if you had an example, um, a, a person who came to me in their 20s and needed to do a valley said, my parents got a divorce. Mm-hmm. And so then it, so she was able to name what happened. Mm-hmm. And, and there are lots of ways you could come at that. Um, somebody might say, what happened? My parents didn't love me. Well, no, that that probably is not true. So really sitting with naming what happened is pretty important. Mm-hmm. And then it leads you to that second one, what did you lose? And I find that's one that really gets buried. Mm-hmm. Um, How might I name the loss? Yes. Yes. So in naming that loss, and, and in this case, thinking of that, this would be familiar to many of you who are listening from, by a friend or even in your own experience. But uh, she said, well, I actually lost my mother as well as my father mm-hmm. because my mother had to go to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I lost being able to do activities after school because I had to go home and wait until my mother came home from mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, really, you're naming the losses yes. that are underneath the yes. the particular loss that you named. You know the yeah. situation and, in the first question. For some, that is that's just something. Uh, the way I looked at it in my own life, well, that was just life, mm-hmm. and. And frankly, it isn't sort of till you get out on your own, whether it's college or work or mm-hmm. living in a new place, you begin to talk about how you grew up and what happened in your life, and you say, oh my gosh, I mean, doesn't every family live the way my family did? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, that is a important part, which then leads to the um, how did you compensate? Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, that is that is really powerful. I want to, on the second part real quick before we move on, sometimes when you're working on your grief, it just seems so big. So even taking one of those things that you name in the second one, how, how might I name um, the loss and the losses underneath that, working with one small piece from within there can be a good starting point. Right. And listen to the one that draws you. Yeah. And let the yeah. others go. Yeah. But the compensating, that's that's a huge piece of and powerful piece and helpful piece, I think, of naming um, different ways, you know, good and bad or, or helpful and unhelpful of how you have um, dealt with the loss, you know, in your in your own life. Yeah. In that example that I was giving you, this this uh, young woman was able to say immediately, oh, I, I know what I did. She said, when I was five, this is when the divorce happened. She said, I began to eat. Mm-hmm. And, and then her father liked sports, and she was actually pretty creative and liked um, art kinds of things, but she went towards sports so that she uh, would somehow gain her father's love. Mm. Mm. So first question was, what happened? Second was, how might I name the loss? Third question is, how did I compensate for that loss? And then... Next question is, how do I grieve in healthy ways? Now, we'll do a whole podcast on grieving in healthy ways um, because there are lots of options there that maybe we haven't thought about. And some of them feel scary because, of course, I mean, um, letting any of the emotion out seems scary because we're a lot of people aren't sure if it'll ever stop. 
But the emotions, um, something that Sue Pickering says, our emotions or feelings are the raw material for spiritual growth. Mm. Right. And, and so being able to actually feel it. I think um, part of the benefit of being listened to, because doing listen to my life, for example, yourself, is, is one level of, of good. But being listened to with a counselor, a coach, spiritual director, spiritual friends, a small group, whatever it happens to be, being listened to, there's a piece here in the midst of this where not just to name the, the, the losses um, and to name the feelings, but to actually experience the feelings. And that's a way to grieve. And so when we tell our stories, we open up the possibility that that might be something that we're, that we're held enough by whomever is listening to us to be able to, to have hope enough to allow ourselves to grieve. Yeah. And I think that part has a lot to do with our image of God. I mean, I think this is one of those places where um, where who is the God we know in ourselves and uh, and that grief has a level of being capped if he's a distant God or a judge or um, all sorts of other uh, metaphors or images. And uh, and we don't grieve, but if we really move in that grieving of wrestling with God and saying how we really feel about this, that and able to do that in the presence of another, there is uh, a potential of a beautiful story coming forth. Mm. Yeah, I I am just floored by people's surprise at their ability to feel after they've numbed for a long time. And the physical release that is so evident that many times their body looks different, their face looks different. It's just so much that's been held physically inside their bodies that needs to come out through the tears, through the talking, through the the compassion of a listener. And it's an absolute privilege to having to have watched it enough times to to know that God is faithful to produce predictable results. <laughs> that and we're just kind of in the we're holding open the space for God to Absolutely. do his work in another as we say, right? So yeah, we we are the ground, partly the ground in which those tears and those feelings are welcomed to be released. Mm-hmm. So we're not isolated. Mm-hmm. The next question on the map is, whom do I need to forgive? Um, usually it's pretty evident about who out of this loss might need to be forgiven mm-hmm. in the midst of it. Um, but the next question on the map after that is, what do I need to confess and ask forgiveness for? Now, sometimes it's not a, um, for example, if someone's been abused, mm-hmm. they don't need to confess that, 
you know, that's it, not their fault. It's not their fault. But many times the ways we have compensated for the losses produce sin. Mm-hmm. It's hurt people, hurt people kind of yes. stuff. And, that and when I just want to say, when you say sin, uh, there are so many kinds of things that people feel. Let's, in this case, look at it. Compensation is disordered love. Mm-hmm. So that I go to get my needs met in places that will not be able to fully meet them. Mm-hmm. That's it's it's so good. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Because there are ways that we're trying desperately to deal with these hurts and losses that produce more hurt and loss. We, per- we become perpetuators of this sometimes on our- ourselves or onto other people. Um, hurt people hurt people. It just is, mm-hmm. are we going to keep the cycle of violence in play. Yes. And and uh, Richard Rohr talks about that with our pain. He says, we either transmit our pain <laughs> or transform it. Mm-hmm. There, there, it, it is not, it doesn't have a middle ground. Mm-hmm. So, so part of what's going on here is we're moving, you know, around the map is we're, we're sorting out what happened and we're owning the pieces that are ours. We're giving the rest to God and, um, so even as we're talking today, this is just kind of a new thought for me. Like we're, we're sorting it out. Mm-hmm. What are the false narratives? What are the true narratives? What's mine? What's God's? What's really the other person's that I'm trying to take? Yeah. And what mm-hmm. has my image of God been mm-hmm. in all of this? Oh. And I think one of the other places in whom do I need to forgive, we often self-sabotage and mm-hmm. that we... We become, we have allowed ourselves, we've given permission for ourselves to be the victim. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and that aspect of forgiving ourselves for making some poor choices. Uh, and I'll just give you one just brief example. Uh, a, y- a young woman grew up in a home where she was not touched a great deal. And she was longing for touch. And when she was a young woman, she went um, into a Christian ministry and worked uh, in that Christian ministry as a young 20-something and found herself sexually involved with another guy who was also in the ministry. And, uh, And so when she opened this space that had been long held and she'd really received forgiveness, uh, in in this, but how she felt about what she had done had never mm-hmm. left her, and and I, when she shared this story with me, I just looked at her and I actually I wept, and I said, "Do you know God knew? God knew that you needed to be touched. Mm-hmm. He knew your longing for intimacy. He has built us for that." He did not judge you in that arena. He simply wept. Mm. I, I mean, her body just shifted. And, and really, it, it opened a space of life and love for her that you know, she could have lived without knowing that. But 
this this just said what the psalmist says, remember not the sins of my youth. Amen and amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and to the God was grieving knowing that what she was getting herself into wasn't gonna satisfy No. And it was gonna cause pain. Yes. And the grief that God feels when we when we try to compensate in ways that are not in alignment with 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 a yes, with his but he was not on. judging her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mm. mean to to know that this it, this road does not lead to what you're really longing for. Yeah. yeah. So true. I I was coaching someone uh recently who has who who unfortunately has really um experienced a lot of shame. And shame is so insidious, so hard to shed. And um, in the midst of, of it all, just so many invitations that God gave her to put it down. And I just, and, and even still, you know, in imaginative prayer, her having conversations with Jesus and actually arguing with him about her unworthiness. And at one point I finally said, how's that argument going for you? And, and, and she laughed, but it was just like, there's this, there's this all out argument over her shame going on. And he's inviting her to put it down very winsomely, but she's defending her right to keep it. And I just, it was such an interesting picture of when our shame has become our identity. Mm-hmm. That it's, it, I've built so many stories around it, I wouldn't know what to do without it. Kind of a, kind of a picture. And the way through this valley, I mean, this map is laid out. You start on one side on on one mountain. You come down the valley um, with the with where the where the the questions are placed on on this this visual metaphor. And how do I grieve in healthy ways? Is this river that runs through the middle of the valley? Whom do I need to forgive? And then starting to come up the other the other mountain, the other side, other side of what do I need to confess and ask forgiveness for? And then the last piece on the map. There's this, you know, kind of a, a more mountain on the right-hand side with a cross at the top, and there's a shadow that comes across the uh, across the the mountain in this particular visual on the map, and it says, "What scriptures remind me that God has walked this valley with me?" You know that assurance that that our shame has been has been taken; it's been covered. Um, we can leave it at the foot of the cross. Um, the assurances that we're loved, that, that, that the scripture is full of those kinds of promises. Mm-hmm. And, but how often do we actually apply them to the very specific pieces and the valleys in our lives? And, and this is where we are ambassadors. We are the incarnational presence of Christ with one another, of looking in one another's eyes and just simply saying, in the name of Christ, you are forgiven. Mm -hmm. This is a relational matter. That scripture cannot be written on some rock at the side of the road that you are (laughs) forgiven. That simply doesn't work. 
It has to be somebody who is um, who is with you in most cases. That isn't to say there aren't places where a person doesn't have a <clears throat> a unique experience, but we're built for community. We're built to announce that to one another, and we're built to be the presence of God with and for one another. Mm. So, what are some of the scriptures that you have written in that spot? I I would there? be glad to read those. And as I'm sitting here thinking about them, sometimes what I will do with people, if I'm listening to them, I'll say, "Can I have your map? Can I read those scriptures back to you? You know, over you." Mm. Um. So this particular valley, I have um, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. From Romans 8, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. From Psalm 16, you will um, show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And from John 4, such love has no fear because perfect love cast out all fear. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's so many mm-hmm. th- to choose from. Yes. There. And yeah. so in conclusion, I just, this is an invitation to freedom. And so Sybil, can you give us the short version of the story of your neighbor coming over to, to the Springs? Well, this is, um, not pools of uh, <laughs> pools of blessing water, but uh, this gal is um, uh, a farmer of fruit and blueberries in our area, and we have a couple of horses, and so she wanted to come over and see if she could get some manure, and uh, so she made an arrangement with Dick and came over, and Dick took her to the uh, manure pile, and he just hadn't seen someone um, do this before, but I mean, she just took her hand and dug it into the manure and just pulled it out and smelled it and said, this is really good stuff. This is, this is going to make something grow. And so when you think about manure and what it is and uh, and our own bodily work of release that that is really can be turned into something that is fruitful in yet ways we had never imagined so i just say there is not a valley in your life that God cannot turn <clears throat> into something good. But a part of what this map is set up to do is for you to come to an acceptance of what happened in your life that you wanted to delete and receive it in a full way and then release it to him just as wood in a fire the releasing of that wood goes back into the atmosphere then to be able to come down as light as sun to yet grow another tree mm. and we've we've often said that you know the valleys when you think about mm-hmm. The picture of the valleys and looking over the valleys is is the most fertile ground it's where the it's where the water comes into the river and the green 
it's beautiful yeah Mm -hmm. yeah just type that on google just you know pictures of valleys and they're just stunning yeah and so there is a promise in the midst of being able to to go here and it's an invitation to freedom i've said that how many times during this particular podcast but um it it does take courage yeah Mm -hmm. and the kind of freedom it is an invitation to is interior freedom that's where we're imprisoned. Our outward circumstance may not change, mm-hmm. but if we're free inside, we are free indeed. Amen and amen. Thanks, everyone, for uh, for listening to this episode of the One Life Maps podcast. Please check out the website and uh, send us a message, uh, onelifemaps.com. Um, please subscribe rate, review this podcast, um, send us um, an email with a question or a comment. If you'd like, you can use my email, Sharon at OneLifeMaps.com. And um, this is Sharon Swing. Joan Kelly. Sybil Towner. Signing off for now. Many blessings, everyone. Have you thought, I don't know myself anymore? Have you wondered, is there something more? Are you at a crossroads in life and asking, Which way will lead me toward expressing more of who I am made to be? Are you looking for a way to understand the restlessness you feel inside? Are you seeking a deeper spiritual life and desire to rediscover who you are through God's eyes? If you've wondered any of these things before, you're ready for the life mapping experience of Listen to My Life. Go to onelifemaps.com to purchase your portfolio of visual life maps. While you're there, check out our upcoming virtual coaching groups, live workshops, and options for you to facilitate the Listen to My Life experience with others. That's onelifemaps.com. O-N-E-L-I-F-E-M-A-P-S dot com.